on. We'll open up to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're finishing uh, teaching through 1st and then 2 Timothy. This is the last chapter of the last book that Paul, the apostle, will ever write in his life. And I have a question up here on the screen. Picture yourself having a conversation with someone who depends on you for the last time. What do you say? Wait, don't go. If you've ever had someone in your family that had a terminal illness, and maybe you sat next to their bed, or you've been there in the room as they're slipping away into eternity, you know, you remember those moments of those, those final moments, and the, sometimes those words they speak to you are so deeply embedded in your psyche and in your mind and your memory, aren't they? Paul is writing this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, who's pastoring a congregation in a wicked, backwards city called Ephesus. A place that prized and valued knowledge, valued uh, idolatry. There was a vast temple there. It valued economic success and prosperity. Paul is writing his last few words to his son in the faith, who he has reared in the faith, who's hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And he's leaving him with these parting words as he knows that he's going to suffer at the hands of the emperor Nero a very swift death of beheading very soon. So if you have here uh, second, second Timothy chapter 4, we're going to jump right into it and read it here. He says, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, before God and the Messiah Yeshua. Notice he's not just saying, hey, Timothy, these are like good recommendations. If you follow these, you'd be. No, he's saying, I'm solemnly charging you, Timothy, before God and before our Savior, who will judge the living and the dead when he appears and establishes his kingdom. Two very important principles there that God's going to. There's two resurrections, Revelation 19 and 20. Read it if you are confused on that. There's two resurrections. There's a resurrection of the living and of the dead. And we're talking spiritual terms here. But he says he will judge those, those who are living when he returns. And then at the resurrection of the dead, those who are dead. He says in verse 2, so proclaim the word. And be on hand with it. In season and out of season. So important there. Uh, guys, I was, some of you know this about me. I'm not, I don't talk a lot about it. But I suffer from migraines periodically. And last night, I mean, I, I woke up yesterday morning with a migraine. I felt it. I was like, oh no. And the only times I got out of bed were to go, excuse my French, upchuck in the bathroom because I was in so much pain and so nauseous. It's the only time that I got out of bed yesterday at all. And so I had to do work from home on my phone, try my best to kind of close one eye and squint and do that. But, I mean, it was so bad. It's probably the worst migraine I've ever had in my life yesterday that at the end of the day, before the, bed, the boys went to bed, I told Stacy, can you just bring the boys in here and everyone just lay hands on me and pray for me? And they all took turns praying for me. And the fact that I woke up this morning and was, I mean, here today is like a miracle. But I was thinking, who could I call on to teach on 2 Timothy chapter 4 today? And a lot, fortunately, a lot of names went through my mind as to who could be sitting out here and I could just, at a moment's notice, like, I mean, Jeremy, Jeremy's like, oh, no, please don't. I mean, Jeremy, there's just a ton of guys. Jeremy did a great job teaching last week. Like, 
you know, so many guys and, and so many gals' names came to mind that, yeah, they could, they could do a really good job and even better job of what I'm about to do if I, if I just still lay down in bed. But be ready in season and out of season or when the time is right and the time is not right to proclaim the word. It's just like, um, you know, just like a, a police officer. Does he, does he foresee that he's going to run into an altercation with a bad guy? And then, okay, you know what, today maybe I'll put my firearm on. No. A, a police officer, a law enforcement officer, what does he do? What does she do? They put their firearm arm on every single morning with the expectation they will be confronted by someone who is violent. And they will need to neutralize that person somehow with that firearm. It's probably uncomfortable to wear that every day. A bulletproof vest. Probably in, in the summer, really annoying to have to wear a bulletproof vest. But when they put that on every single morning, they're saying, I'm going to be ready in season or out of season. And scripture is like the armor of God, isn't it? We should be ready in season and out of season when the time seems right, when it doesn't seem right, to what? Give a reason for the hope that we have, right? To be able to make an apology, apologia, defend our faith against someone who's attacking it, right? Paul says to do it with gentleness and respect. The time seems right, but time doesn't seem right. He says, let's keep going. He says to convict, or synonymous to that would be correct. This word in the Greek is el egko. It, it means, and, and Yeshua uses it in Matthew 18, it means to bring something to the light, to expose something that is hidden. Paul is telling Timothy, convict people. And then the next word he uses, epitemeo which is to rebuke. This is in Matthew 8, 26. Remember when Yeshua gets up on the boats and the wind and the waves are sweeping them and they think they're going to die. And it's just like this massive storm. What he does and what he speaks, it says in Matthew 8, 26, he, he epitameo, the wind and the waves. He rebukes them. So Paul is telling Timothy, be ready to convict people, expose people, and sin to rebuke people. And then this last one is really important. Para kaleo, which is, and, and if you go to John, uh, John actually uses this four times, I believe it is, in the book of John, to personify the Holy Spirit as the epikaleo. And it's translated in English as the comforter. So Paul is telling Timothy, let's review, to convict, to expose things that are hidden in people's lives. To rebuke those things and then to comfort people. And that, in short, is the role of a pastor. Convict, rebuke, and then comfort. And he says, do it with unfailing patience and with teaching. So just like, you know, I'm up here teaching week after week after week. It's not, it's not that I have to go to a person and say, hey, I need to see your phone and look at your, your web browser history. No. It's, I'm up here teaching what does holiness and discerning between good and holy, between profane and holy look like. I'm up here teaching week after week. That can convict you. But there are times where I have to come to people and I have to do this and say to them, here's conviction. I'm rebuking that. But it's redeemable because God loves you. And I'm a hot mess as well. I do it with unfailing patience and with teaching. Why? Why do that? Because we're constantly in this state of, of refining the bride of Messiah. Always looking and preparing ourselves for his return, the bridegroom's return, aren't we? 
We're always analyzing ourselves and saying, are we someone that he wants to spend eternity with? And if not, what is that thing that is preventing him to want to spend eternity with me? That's why. Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not have patience for sound teaching. The sound teaching, it's um, Luke, it's, it's, uh, it's actually where we get the, the Greek word, it's actually where we get the word hygiene. Hygiene, which is like health. And Luke 7 uses it as good health. There's, in other words, there's nothing missing. It's complete. So Paul is saying, people won't have patience for complete teaching. For whole teaching. They'll have patience for something that is part teaching. Or missing teaching. Or a fraction of this, or a fraction of that. But when you really present the wholeness of the gospel to them, they won't have patience for it, he says. A time is coming for that. Raise your hand if you think we're here. <laughs> we're in an age of YouTube shorts and Instagram reels, aren't we? Where it's like you got about 15 seconds of my attention, Gabe. Show me what you got. Wow me somehow. Paul is saying a time is coming when the tension spans and, and the hearts of men will be so wicked and, and selfish and conceited that they won't want to put up with sound, good, healthy teaching. But rather they will cater to their own passions and gather around themselves teachers who say whatever their ears itch to hear. You see, my biggest competitor is the goddess dopamine. That's my biggest competitor in what I do. Or the gospel of validate me in my sin. I don't want conviction. I don't want rebuke. I'll take the comfort. Or I'll take the dopamine hit that you provide for me. Shame on us. And messianic people, and myself included, are so guilty of that. Worshipping at the altar of knowledge. Worshipping at the altar of that next little hit of dopamine. A little mystery that we could somehow pops off in our brain. Yes. I know something they don't. I know something they were hiding from me. No. Paul says there is a commensurate, proportional relationship between knowledge and your level of pride or humility. Paul says knowledge does what? Puffs up. So for every bit of knowledge we put in this little brain of ours, we have to bandage it, let's say, medicate it with an extra dose of humility, don't we? And sometimes we forget that. Verse 5, but you remain sober in every situation. Endure suffering and do the work that an evangelist of the good news should and do everything your service to God requires. For as for me, I'm, re I'm already being poured out on the altar. Yes, the time of my departure has already arrived. And Paul's making allusion back to in temple times, which the temple stood at this time as he's writing this letter. It hasn't been destroyed yet. It'll be destroyed in about four years. They would make, they would make drink offerings on the altar. You guys remember that? Especially on Sukkot. They would, pour, they would go down to the pool of Siloam at the bottom part of the temple mount, way down near the, the city of David. And they would, at the last day of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, they would bring that water. It'd be a great parade up, up to the temple mounts. And they would, people would follow, the Levitical choir would follow, and musicians would follow up, and they would pour that water from the pool of Siloam, which actually pours out of the, the, the spring of Gihon, 
They would pour that over the water. It's called the water libation ceremony. And they would pray for the year's rain. And Paul is saying, I am like that. I'm being poured out on the altar. The time for my departure has arrived. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. And I have kept the faith. He says, now all that awaits me is a certificate. No. (laughs) What does it say? Now all that awaits me is a crown of righteousness, which I will get at my retirement party. Now, remember, Paul's going to spend his last living days in that dank, dark, filthy prison cell that is a cave, right? He says, I'll receive my crown of glory, which is the Lord, the righteous judge. He will award me on that day. That day. Now, Matthew uses, as he's recording Yeshua's words in Matthew 10, uh, Matthew 11, and Matthew 12, that day is a very, it's a very loaded term. It means the day of his return, the day of his judgments. That day, Paul says. Now, he knows he's going to die, so how will he be reward, rewarded on that day? Because Paul is a good Pharisee. He believes in the resurrection of the dead. Like we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Paul believes he will be resurrected from the dead and he will be judged. He will receive a, a crown of righteousness. So verse 9 says, Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. For Demas, because he has fallen in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone off to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you because he is a very useful helper in my work. In other words, Paul is feeling really, really isolated, isn't he? And we think sometimes our hard work and our ministry, our careers, our faith, our walk with the Lord is going to end with like fanfare. Paul is ending his race here completely alone and isolated, isn't he? But he's keeping a, a kingdom mindset, an internal mindset that says that God's going to give me a crown of righteousness on that day of resurrection. I hope I have that mindset as well. He says, but take Tychius, I have sent, uh, I'm sorry, but, but Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the coat which I left with Carpus and Troas. Also the scrolls, and especially the parchments. Scholars really don't know for sure what he's talking about here with scrolls and parchments. It could be copies of, of scripture. It could be letters. It could be ancient prayers that were written out. Um, we don't really know what they are, but apparently they're very important to Paul. He says, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will render him according to his works, and you should guard against him because he bitterly opposed everything we said. The first time I had to present my defense, no one stood by me. Everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me the power to proclaim the full message for all the Gentiles to hear. And I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus has remained in Corinth. And Trophimus I left ill at Miletus. So do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be to you. There's Paul's final words to his son in the faith, Timothy. 
There's four types of people, Paul is saying, and I have observed over the years, that will walk in our doors. Paul is saying that there's, he, he constantly warns us of false teachers and false prophets, right? There's four types of people that will walk in our door. And here they are. Lost sheep. Man, I want a lot of lost sheep in our door. I want all the lost sheep we can cram in this building or wherever we're at or we have to go to a park or whatever. We want lost sheep. Lost sheep are people who have not heard or accepted the gospel of Messiah. They're not born again. They're lost. They're sheep, but they're lost. Right? They're, they're wandering the hillside looking for a flock, looking for a shepherd, looking for hope, looking for sustenance. The next kind of sheep that will, will ever walk in our door are, are sheep, but they're sick sheep. These are sheep that are born again, but they acquired an illness from somewhere. Now, now here's the thing is we want sick sheep to come in. I want as many sick sheep as possible. This is like a hospital. Sometimes, however, sick sheep are so sick that they refuse treatment. They don't want to do what the doctor orders, so to speak. It's too painful. And what they do, they do one of two things if they're a sick sheep in that scenario. They either get other people around them sick or they decide that they're better off being a sick sheep out away from the shepherd that's trying to get them well. And we all know what happens then. But very few times, and it's, it, it is extremely hurtful and extremely painful when the elders of this congregation have to do that. Sometimes we have to take six sheep and say, guys, you're getting more people sick than you are getting better. We have to socially distance us from you. You're refusing all the planned treatment that we have for you. And that's an extremely hurtful and painful experience for them and for us. But then there's six, there's six sheep that turn into healthy sheep. And that is an amazing experience. Then healthy sheep help other sick sheep get better. And that's a really cool thing to see. Like um, Brian and Tanya were talking about how their marriage, you know, it was like, it was like they were just desperate. And this conference, this, this class has allowed them the freedom now to stand up here. Think about it. Like if, if Satan got his way with their marriage... One of them would not be here. Maybe both of them would not be here. Their kids' lives would be radically different. But because the Lord healed them, now they they admit they're not perfect, they get to stand up here now and call other sick sheep unto them and say, we know what can heal you. Man, that's a beautiful thing to see. And that brings so much joy to my heart when I see Brian and Tanya up here doing that. It's like, God, just like, it feels like I kick Satan in the teeth. Man. Then healthy sheep will walk in our door. Healthy sheep, man, when they come in, it's like, all right, cool. Here, you know, you just see, here's some jobs for you to do. Here's some sick sheep that we can connect you with, help, help disciple them, get them well. You know, that's, it's a wonderful thing. But then there's the fourth person that walks in our door. They're what's called the wolf. Oh, I put it in red there because that's important. <laughs> now, do wolves always look like wolves? No. And in fact, wolves never look like wolves. Yeshua says that wolves will come wearing what type of clothing? Sheep. Wolves always camouflage themselves as sheep. So you might be thinking, as a shepherd, Gabe, how do you know the difference between a sick sheep and a wolf? The lines are really blurry. They are hard to discern. Here's the number one way I can tell. A wolf 
is not going to get down on his hands and knees for very long, on his all fours for very long, and eat grass for very long. A wolf is going to eat what? Sheep. I can tell by the diet. The wolf is going to grab sheep, healthy sheep, sick sheep, and he's going to pull them away from the flock and say, come with me. I know better than they do. Or come with me. I've got this tantalizing little thing over here. Here, here, let me, let me show you some, just some, some doctrines. I did this little illustration this morning. It came, came to mind. I hope it's a good idea. I hope it doesn't fail. I got a fishing pole here. It's broke off at the tip, so it's going to be good. But here are some doctrines that I've come across. And this is what a, this is what a wolf does. A wolf doesn't just, um, you know, like invite people to come over or whatever and, and, and watch this video or, or, or denigrate the leadership here. A wolf will, will always... Um, Always do things very, very subtly. Like um, they'll say things. Let's try this. Let's try this doctrine. Noah, can you help me up with this? Um, the, the Jew, the Jews have been have been hiding the correct pronunciation of God's holy name, and I have I have discovered it. So a, a wolf will take him. Okay, let's see. Got it on there. Let's see. Okay, a, a wolf will take. Okay, here. Let's let's check it out here. Okay, everybody awake. Everybody watching. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right, here's a wolf. All right, I think I got a bite. Yep, I got one. You guys are never going to forget this, are you? I got a bite? No? Okay. Are you just, Jim, you just reject that, right? You reject that? All right, just throw it back. Try not to snack her too much. Thank you. All right, cool. All right, let's reel it in. Uh, I, did, I, got, I got a little nibble on that. I got a little nibble. But yeah, that, that doctrine. Okay, Noah, let's see what else we got in there. Grab another. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it's not. Right, let's try another one. Alright, that, that was trail mix. Uh, that was dark chocolate medley. That maybe they maybe didn't like that one too much. Let's try let's try a little something else. It's a little chocolate chewy bar here. It's got it's got some granola in it, but it's mostly chocolate, so maybe this will let me see what we got. Let me see here. Oh we got um uh, uh, Paul is actually a false prophet. Okay, yeah, let's see who bites this. Okay. You ready? Everybody awake? Right down the middle. Oh, oh, okay. I might have a bite. Oh, 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 you're dead. Okay, wow. All right, well, we've got a couple more tricks up our sleeve. And you guys are never going to forget this, are you? All right, Noah, let's see what else we got here. These are just some doctrines that I, I've come across that wolves like to espouse in our midst here that we have to kind of call out sometimes. What else we got? Look it up there. Noah, Noah has no part in this, by the way. He's an innocent party. Which is my bond. Oh, it's a sucker. It's not really. Okay, maybe. maybe. <laughs> It's an organic sucker. Man, this definitely came from my house. Uh, this, okay, let's try this. Let's try this. Um, maybe, maybe there's more books in the Bible than what they're telling you. Let's try this one. All right, heads up. Oh. I get one. I get a bite. I get a bite. Oh, oh, I got something. This, oh, no, okay. Okay, yeah, you're rejecting that. Good. Good for you. Good for you. I'm, oh, no, it's not. All right, you took, so you took the lollipop. But you, all right, all right. Hey, gotta be resourceful. One of them out there stripped my hook. All right, what else we got? Let's see what. Oh, this is this is good. This one's gonna be. Someone's gonna get this one. Let me see what this is. This is um, man, this is Russell Stover uh, Krispies and honey caramel Krispies and honey caramel and milk chocolate. Oh, someone's gonna bite this one. Oh, here here it is. End times or second coming predictions that prove to be false. Oh, come on. We got someone on this one. Right over there. Oh, no. Okay. All right. All right. Let's reel it back in and see if we got anything. My bait fell off. Jeremy, I guess you can have that. 
That's yours. It's yours for the keeping. All right, let's try one more. Okay, nobody seems to be biting on this stuff. Let's look up one more, Noah. I'm going to get in trouble for this. What's this one? Let me see. Some doctrines that we've had to deal with around here. Oh, denying the personhood of the Holy Spirit with a Reese's cup. All right. Y'all ready? Over there. Oh, yeah. All right. Just some false doctrines we, we've had to kind of deal with around here as Andreas reels it in. I hope you guys, actually, I hope you never forget that illustration. Sometimes the most sound of doctrines come in the most uncomfortable ways. The sounder the doctrine, the most convicting and uncomfortable it should make you. And the converse is true. Sometimes the most false and blatantly untrue doctrines and teachings make you the most comfortable. Like here's one that was in the bag and threw it out. But staying completely unchanged after hearing the gospel and thinking that that's okay. It's not okay. You have to conform your life to that of the king, don't you? So here's how to spot a false teacher. Four, four ways. This is not comprehensive, but these are four ways that I've learned. Number one, they prey on the spiritually immature. The spiritually immature. They don't want to go after the mature. Who's got, who's got a couple verses here? 2 Corinthians 11, 3-4. Who's got that? If you wouldn't mind, stand up and read it real loud. Who's got 2 Corinthians? Go ahead. And I fear that some of your minds may be seduced away from simple and pure devotion to the Messiah. Just as Papa was deceived by the serpent and his craftiness. For if someone comes and tells you about some other Yeshua than the one we told you about, or if you receive a spirit different from the one you received, or accept some so-called good news, different from the good news you already accepted, you bear with him well enough. Thank you. Paul's very concerned for the spiritually immature. He knows they're there. He does not condemning them, but he wants them to mature so they're less prone to attack. Okay, who's got Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14? You got it? Read it, read it nice and loud. No, I, I gave him out ahead of time. I'm sorry. But thank you, though. Thank you. I gave him out ahead of time. You just turn around and read it to everybody. So, until we all reach unity in the faith and we and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attending, attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ. They will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by everyone of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people and the deceitful and skinny. Thank you. Who's that? Um, oh, I guess we're probably the Number two, the second way I can identify a false teacher, as Paul points out. There's an underlying and ungodly ambition. Who has 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 5? Stand up and read it. Nice on that, Tim. People may contradict our teachings, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Yeshua. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. A show of godliness to them is just a way to become wealthy. Wow. Who's got Second Peter 2, 3? Read it nice and loud. Do what? I gotta get to it. You got to get to it? 
read, just stand up and turn around and read it nice and loud. I mean, just yell it out. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money, but God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. They come up with clever ways to get hold of your money. Yeah, a false teacher, number three. It's, they seek to divide the body of Messiah and a congregation. Guys, in this congregation, we have ways. If you see an error, if you see false doctrine being taught or, or something, we, we definitely don't intend to do that. But there's channels and there's ways that you can come to leadership and you can express those concerns. But what a false teacher does or what a wolf does is he goes around and he tells everyone, hey, do you realize this is not true? Do you realize that they made a mistake there? Do you realize Gabe is actually kind of ugly? No, I'm just <laughs> But they do those things subversively, subversively. And your response to that should be, go to the leadership about it. They seem like pretty down-to-earth dudes. Maybe they'll look at it and study it out and pray about it. They have nothing to gain or lose. Let up, let up. They, they want to do everything on the up and up, okay? So, division. Let's go get Titus 3, 10 through 11. Who's got that? Titus 3, 10, 10 to 11. Nobody? Maybe I, didn't, maybe I didn't give it out. Maybe, Suzanne, here's your chance. No? Anybody want to turn there and read it? I think I forgot. Go ahead, Marcus. Thank you. Nice and loud. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Mm, self-condemned. Have nothing to do with him. Jude 18 and 19. Who's got that? I know I put that on piece of You got it, Jim? Nice and loud if you don't mind. See, the heart of a shepherd is always about gathering, unifying and gathering people together, right? Hey, come back to the table. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's come back and let's work through this, right? You don't have to leave. Now, I mentioned there are times where we tell people, guys, look, you've got to go. That's very rare, a few far between, and it's very hurtful to the heart of a shepherd. The heart of a false teacher or a wolf is always the opposite. Let's scatter. Let's scatter. Let's divide. Because where there's division, there's a better opportunity to devour. False teachers, number four, seek to lead others away from the safety of the flock and its shepherd. Okay, the shepherd, go to 1 Peter 5, 2-4. Who's got that? 1 Peter 5, 2-4. You got it, Tanya? Here's what the shepherd does. Here's what, the, here's what the wolf does. Who's got, who's got Matthew 7, 15 to 18? Read it nice and loud if you don't mind, Joel. Watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Grapes aren't gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree produces good fruit, but the rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. So basically, you'll know the difference between a sheep and a wolf based on their fruit. And I always say, guys, I have no desire in limiting how many teachers you have. Have as many teachers as you've got time for. And the internet is a great place for that. But it's also a very dangerous place for that. It's hard to know the life of a man or a woman 
through the screen of a, of a computer. But if you can see a person is doing their best to exemplify the fruits of the Spirit in a consistent way, they might be anointed by the Holy Spirit to teach. It's a pretty good chance. But the converse is true. If a person is consistently lacking in one or more of the fruits of the Spirit, and they're not seemingly making many efforts to change that about themselves, they might not be an anointed teacher of the Word of God. Okay? And I'm speaking from a place of complete failure in some of those, just right right off. I'm not saying I'm in any way perfect. But I try, man. I get up every morning. And, And a practice I want you guys to take on yourselves as we close out today. You know, just... The heart of a shepherd is so concerned about the well-being of the people that he's been entrusted to shepherd. The heart of a shepherd, like last, last night, as I couldn't sleep and I was tossing and turning because I had a pounding migraine, I would just close my eyes and I would start, and I do this often, whether I'm sitting alone in this room sometimes, I sit in here alone, or I'm just, I'm not able to sleep. If you want, if you want some good sleep medicine, try this. I start back there where Robin's sitting. And I like, in some ways, I like that you guys sit in the same seats every week because it makes it kind of easy for me to do that, but you can mix it up, it's okay. But I start back there with Robin. And I picture Robin, I picture Xavier and Rebecca, uh, Sadok, and I, and I picture uh, Patrick and Alexis and, and their three kids. And I go, I, I go to Charity and, and, and Ricky and her kids, and I work my way up this road. And as I'm doing so, as I'm picturing each of their faces... I'm picturing what they're going through and the challenges that they're experiencing because I, I know some people come to me about challenges that they're having in their faith or in their marriage or their finances or their job. And I sit there and I pray for each of them. And I just go through face after face after face from the back of that corner of the room all the way up here and ending with Mary Shelley and Nicole if I'm still awake, you know, all the way around. Now, now I know you're saying, Gabe, you fall asleep this side never gets any prayer. Yes, that's right. <laughs> No, I switch it up and I start on this side, you know, and then I switch, the next night if I can't get any sleep, I start back there, you know, and I, I work my way up and I think of it, I visualize every person's face that I can possibly visualize as I'm, as I'm laying there, unable to sleep, and I just begin to pray for each of them and the different needs that they've had. All right. Try that. If you can't sleep, try it. It's, it works wonders. And you'll fall asleep, but man, you will, the Lord will put people on your heart. And you'll be able to go to them with a word of knowledge or whatever. Go to them and say, hey, I, the Lord impressed on me just to pray for you last night. I couldn't sleep and I was like, what's, is everything all right? And you, you'd be surprised at the things that people open up about. I texted a lady uh, uh, this past week and just say, hey, your, your, your face literally, it, it, it ran through my mind. It was just like I saw her face and it went zoom across my mind like that. And I texted her and told her and I said, I've just been praying for you today. And the response I got back was, we're going through, my husband and I are going through a very messy divorce. My daughter is questioning her faith because of it. I'm addicted to something. I'm at, I'm at, I'm at, because of the divorce, about to lose my home. And all I could respond was, the Lord must really care for you. There's hope. Because your mind just, I mean, your face just went right across my mind. And that's the heart of a shepherd, I think, is like, Deep concern for each and every person. But I wanted to recap real quick with the five or ten minutes we have less left. In one or two words, what are some major themes of the epistle to Timothy? In one or two words, you guys just shoot your hand up or just say that. What, what are one or two things that if you could summarize first and second Timothy, what would you say it is? Be diligent. Be diligent, yeah. Sure. Healthy leadership in a community. 
Healthy leadership is important for a community. Stand strong. Stand strong. Marcus? Teach others. Teach others. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Forgiveness. Forgive. Yeah. Greg? Say again? Steadfastness. Yeah. Yeah. Study the word. Good. Yeah. So you can know when someone's teaching contrary to it. Very good. Michael? Beware. Beware. Yeah. Good. I think you guys hit the nail on the head. Yeah, Joel? In the end, be there for them. Yeah, don't don't desert your teachers. Yeah, um, one of the favorite things. Sometimes people bring me notes, and they write notes of encouragement. I got one from somebody this morning actually, and they'll just write me little notes. You know, Brian and Tanya wrote me a card not too long ago. Just little things like that. And it's like I don't, sometimes I don't circle back around and say thank you for that note, but man, it really does mean a lot to me. Just encourage the people that spend time teaching and, and, and doing those things. Um, what's one lesson you guys learned in closing? What's one lesson that you learned? From first and second Timothy. Ready, go. Okay, nothing. Okay, we'll just wrap up in. Yeah, Dennis. Don't be gullible. Wow. Good, 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 good. Be discerning. Good. Yeah, it's Jacqueline. Yeah, that conviction is part of the life of a believer. Would you say, yeah. Noah? Don't be like surfer dude. Don't be like the surfer dude. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah, Joel? The, uh, qualifications for the leader, yeah. teacher, elder. Qualifications for the leadership and teaching within and elders and deacons within the congregation. Chris? You're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah, good. Brian? Yeah, at the beginning, uh, he says, you know, Timothy, my son, and he encourages him, step up. Mm. Rise to the occasion. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, Bob? Yeah, last week when uh, Jeremy was teaching, he was talking about um, in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. And I'm thinking of the uh, cell phones. How many people take photos or selfies? Yeah. Yeah. Selfies of themselves. And it's like, wow, you see. Yeah, we're a very selfish culture, aren't we? Yeah. And Marcus, we'll do two more and then we'll wrap. Marcus? I learned what it looks like to look for a good, healthy leader like Paul. Yeah, yeah, it's important. Yeah, very good. Okay, we'll take two more. Two more, guys. Some good lessons that you've learned. No, maybe we don't have two more. Run the race. Run the race, yeah. Run the race, even if you feel like you're alone and very far from the finish line. Obey the rules. Obey the rules of the race, yeah, very good. All right, let's close in prayer, guys. Abba Father, thank you for this time of study where we can read your word. And I thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul. And to think that there are people all around the globe who are named after or churches that have been named after this man to the deepest jungles in Ecuador that have been impacted by the life and the race that was run by this man. I thank you for his steadfastness and we long to see him in the resurrection. Father, I pray that all the teachings on this, these two books will just sprout and, and, and bear much fruit within us as we walk in, in, in the faith and run the race. And we'll give you all the glory for it. As we continue to break bread today, may every word bring you glory and honor and be worthy of Yeshua's dying for. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to do the blessing of the fruit of the vine. Michael, do you want to do the ironic benediction today? Get ready for that. I was say the blessing of the fruit of the vine. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Borei Amen. 
Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of God. We'll say the blessing of the bread. Who made the bread today? I like to always embarrass. Who? Noel did? You didn't want to raise your hand? Oh, it's, it looks very good. It's like perfect. Wow. How do you do that? All right, we'll say the blessing of the bread. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, ha'motzi lechamim ha'ares. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Yeah, in memory of Yeshua dying, the bread of life dying, we break bread today. If you want to get with your loved ones or your family, we're going to close out with a pre-seed. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Homework. You have homework this week. If you want to get your phone out and take a picture real quick. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention this. We're going to start a new series on holiness. And next week I'm going to do an intro to holiness. I want you guys to find four places in scripture where the people of God are commanded to be holy and write them down. Number two. Find four objects in Scripture that are said to be holy and write them down. And then third, thirdly, what in your opinion is the purpose of being holy? That's your homework. So take a picture of that, and maybe Joanne will include that in the email this week. And we'll, uh, we'll cover those next week.